church, we're invited to continue worshiping this morning as we open God's Word, as we open up His Word to the book of Nehemiah, and uh, just a slight change of typical uh, activities. There's no children's worship today, no, no tree house today, so kids, you are invited to stay right here for the remainder of our time and uh, worship with us, but uh, just to keep you engaged, at least here on the front end, um, uh, if if you can find what page in the Pew Bible, first child to find what page in the Pew Bible and let us know, Nehemiah chapter 1, what page it's on, I'll have a prize for you uh, at the end of our our service. So kiddos, find Nehemiah chapter 1 in the Pew Bible and then when you have it, you can raise your hand or just shout it out and we'll turn to that page. Uh, Nehemiah, if you go to the center of the Bible, just a little hint here, if you go to the center of the Bible, you might see the book of Psalms, go back two or three books, and you'll be in Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and Job. Uh, our, our theme for this year as a church, our theme for 2022 is soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. A, a theme that reverberates throughout the Bible uh, and especially, we might say, from Nehemiah. Uh, ne- Nehemiah lived in the 5th century B.C. That's a little while ago. Uh, a Jewish exile serving the king, King Artaxerxes, the Persian king. You might remember that the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and destroyed God's temple there in 586 B.C., leaving the city in ruins and taking many Jews into exile, into a foreign land. But soon thereafter, a few decades later, the Persians defeat the Babylonians, and God stirs, the Bible says that God stirs Cyrus, king of Persia, to let Jewish exiles return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. Uh, Nehemiah knows this story. He's familiar with this history, even though he remains in a foreign land, and So even though he's abroad, when given the opportunity, he inquires about the status of Jerusalem. What's going on back home? And he stands ready and eager to use his position in the king's palace to serve the Lord in Jerusalem. All right, kids, anybody found it? Kyler? What page? 283. Is that right? 283? All right, so let me invite you to open up Scripture to the book of Nehemiah. If you don't have a Bible, you can find it on a pew Bible there uh, in God's God's Word. All right, as you find your place in Scripture, would you join me standing for the reading of God's Word? We we began Nehemiah last week. We looked at the first chapter, but we're gonna we're gonna swing back and go through chapter one and the first part of chapter two this morning. So. I invite you to hear God's word. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 8. The Bible reads this way. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. 
When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Verse 5, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today. By granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. And now would you pause with me for prayer? Oh, Father, we thank you for being a good and gracious God. We ask that you would now guide us by your spirit's presence, the proclamation of your word for the glory of your name. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this this guy, Nehemiah, who's writing this first-hand account, sort of as if we're reading the diary of Nehemiah here, he's living in Persia, but his heart's not in Persia. His heart's in another place. His heart's in his homeland. His heart's in Jerusalem. He's the king's 
cup bearer, meaning if anyone aims to poison the king, Nehemiah is a dead man and long live the king. It's 445 B.C. Nehemiah is concerned about the people and place of Jerusalem because that's where God has chosen to to dwell with his people, with Abraham's offspring, Abraham's descendants. Nehemiah knows and believes that God deserves praise, but God's people and God's place are in ruins. God's people remain oppressed and his promises are yet unfulfilled. God's reputation is stained, leaving this servant brokenhearted because those who know the Lord care about the welfare of his people and the glory of his name. Those who know the Lord who know him, who know this God, the same God that we worship, those who know him care about the welfare of his people and the glory of of his name. Uh, Borrowing from Alistair Begg, one of my favorite preachers, I want to put some helpful handles on the flow of this story today with three words. Number one, reaction. Uh, Number two, counter-reaction. And three, into action. Reaction, Counter-reaction into action. In this story, Nehemiah goes from aches to action. He begins by reacting. He reacts to trouble. He reacts to news of trouble with, with weeping. He wept, mourned, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, verse 4. He's deeply troubled. He's clearly broken-hearted because God's people are in trouble and God's reputation is on the line. And to be clear, God's inexhaustible worth is unchanging. But the welfare of God's people impacts his reputation in the world. In other words, Nehemiah is zealous for God's glory. It's been generations since Jews journeyed to the holy city for the annual festivals. Generations since God's people gathered at the temple to sacrifice and to worship and to hear the word. Corruption from within and attacks from without have halted Yahweh's worship, which he is due. The Jews are troubled. The city's walls are broken down. And upon hearing the news, Nehemiah breaks down and weeps because he cares about God's glory and he cares about the welfare of God's people. In fact, as we'll soon see, as this story unfolds, we'll see that Israel's enemies were very much disturbed. Chapter 2, verse 10, that someone, Nehemiah, had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. In church, we, we live... About 2,500 years later, about 2,500 years after this story takes place in a different time, in a different place, far from Jerusalem, but like Nehemiah, we care about God's glory and the welfare of, of God's people. And so when we hear of actions, when we hear of actions in the church that dishonor God and harm His people, may our hearts Ache. May we ache. Such news is cause for weeping and mourning and fasting and praying. 
The abuse and the mishandling of abuse over two decades by pastors and key leaders in our convention is reason for weeping. It's just reason for us to ache. Like Nehemiah ached over the pain of victims, the presence of predators in Christ's church, the callousness of men who ignored or silenced victims. Meadowbrook, may our hearts ache when God is dishonored and his people are hurt. It's right and it's good to be broken when God's misrepresented. It's right and it's good to be angry when the vulnerable are mistreated and the powerful ignore their cries for help. That's the right reaction to such horrific news. There's such a thing as a righteous anger and deep brokenness, and there are right times to express it. But we don't remain there. We don't don't stay there, at least not only there, perhaps for a while, but not for for forever. We turn from there and to the Lord, to the Lord God Almighty. We turn to the Lord in earnest prayer. Earthly sorrow leads God's people to pray. When earthly sorrows overshadow the Lord's plans, faithful servants turn to God in, in earnest prayer. Here's the counter reaction, reaction, brokenness and weeping. Here's the counter-reaction to troubling news. Earnest prayer to God. For for more than 100 days. For for roughly four months, Nehemiah cries out to God again and again and again. Like we, we find out soon in this story that it takes just 52 days to to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But before the project ever even begins, there's more than 100 days of mourning and fasting and praying. Humble, honest, earnest prayer to God. The kind that only happens when you when you know God's goodness. When you know this God, when, you, when your faith rests in God himself because you know him. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know the God of Nehemiah? Do you know the Lord of the nations? Do, do you know the God who, who saves? Do you know him enough to pray to him earnestly, honestly, persistently? It's, it's okay to pray specifically for particular requests to come to pass when you know those prayers reflect his will as revealed in his word. That's what Nehemiah is doing. How do we know His will? How do we know what glorifies God, what pleases Him? How do we, how do we know the Lord's plans? We know them from His Word. We know them from His Word. And the Word says, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, for the earth will be filled. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. This God, Nehemiah's God, our God, as the waters cover the sea. What does that mean, church? It means that one day we will know. One day we and countless others will know without a doubt the worthiness of our 
God. One day, we won't doubt it, one day people across God's green earth will know Him and so we pray for it. We pray for it now. We pray for it to come to pass even now, just as He, as He says. And last week's report on abuse and the SBC details events that did quite the opposite. Oppression, mistreatment, cover-ups that did not spread news of God's glory and His grace. Things that did not promote His good plans and His heart of compassion for the hurting. And so we, like Nehemiah, heed the Spirit's prompting to grieve and to pray. To pray. What's right, and it's, it's good to pray. Injustices would be corrected and evil would be abolished and the hurting would be healed. To pray that women and children in churches would be rightly warned of wolves wearing sheep's clothing. To pray the victimized would be believed and loved by fellow followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. To pray leaders who've ignored the plight of the abuse would be removed from leadership and held to account. To pray in light of the end picture. The end picture of God's grand story of receiving His due glory from a people who know and love Him. A people who are reconciled to Him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Seeing a vision of that end. Seeing the end picture. Seeing a vision of that end. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit prompts John, John the disciple, the evangelist, one of the apostles, to give us a glimpse of what's going to be one day. Revelation chapter 7, after this I looked. He said, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Remember that this is the Lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice. It might as well say a loud, joyful voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is Stephen Covey's famous principle to begin with the end in mind. What's the end? A multitude of redeemed from every nation Standing in the presence of God himself, feeling and knowing and experiencing the presence and provision of Christ the Lamb, slain for us, ruling forever and welcoming our praise. Oh, church, may we pray here in light of the there, praying for the fulfillment of God's plans, praying that we would be A people who delight in Him above everything else. Who worship Him and who love Him. Praying that our neighbors and the nations would come to know Him. Praying for God to fulfill His plans. You see, when injustice abounds and pain is present, we ought to grieve. And pray. And as we pray, as we walk by faith in the Lord, He guides us. And what to do. But only as we pray. Not until we pray. Not before we pray. But as we pray. You see God grants wisdom to those who walk by walk with him. God grants wisdom to those who walk with him. Nehemiah moves from reaction, weeping, mourning. To counter reaction, prayer. 
and then into action, ready to execute the particular plan for which the Lord's been preparing him. From aches to action. That's the movement of this story. What's his prayer? Well, he tells us in chapter 1, verse 11, God, give your servant success today. Give me success today by granting me favor in the presence of this man. Who's this man? He's the king. I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah's planning, preparing, scheming as he prays. Planning to approach the king at the very moment God's spirit prompts him. You gotta wonder as he recognizes that the Lord is leading him in this particular way to approach the king. King Artaxerxes, he has to wake up perhaps each day wondering, is today the day? Is this the day? Today, today I'm ready, Lord. Grant me favor. If this is the day, lead me. I'm prepared. I'm ready. Ready to go. John held a luncheon on Thursday for Memorial Day with our senior adults. And there at that luncheon, we watched a documentary on the four chaplains. Story of sacrifice at sea. Now, four chaplains on a ship, the Dorchester, with 900 soldiers heading off to war in 1943, clung together by faith in the Lord in the midst of hardship. And they were warned... Soldiers were warned that there was a German submarine following them. Warned to be prepared, to be ready. Warned, cautioned, even to sleep with life jackets on, to be prepared at all times. you got to imagine the Nehemiah, once he discerns, the Lord is leading him to take charge here, to lead, to approach the king. He's, he's ready at all times. He's ready to approach King Artaxerxes. If God grants some favor, Nehemiah is going to ask for a leave of absence in order to become senior project manager for the Jerusalem project. This is a man who's known as a leader. Story about leadership, faithful leadership, quite the leader. But notice what he says in verse 2 of chapter 2. He says, I was very much afraid. I don't know about you, but I like reading that. I, I can relate to that. And suddenly this, this ancient hero's not so distant anymore. Suddenly I, I kind of like this fellow because he's human. With doubts and fears and pain and, and yet faithful to God. He's faithful to the Lord because he believes the Lord is faithful to his word. And so he invites God to use him however God wishes to bring about God's God's plans. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe that God can use you? Do you believe that God desires to use you? Do you believe that God has a history, a plan of using ordinary folks like us who have faith in Him? Ask and plan for God to use you. Ask and plan for God to use you, believer. Like we, we read this account and can't help but think of the circumstances that God himself must have orchestrated to send Nehemiah back to Jerusalem. No doubt the king's come to expect his cupbearer to be happy. 
Sadness might suggest someone slipped him a mickey, but God's spirit prompts the king to ask, what's going on? Like, what's with all the sadness? My city and my people are in ruins, he says. And so the king responds, verse 4, what, what is it you want? Nehemiah, what, what are you asking for? And notice Nehemiah's response right away. In the moment. And I prayed to the God of heaven. There's a praying man who trusts the Lord. He's been walking by faith in the Lord for days and days and days. Earnestly praying to God. And in the moment, when God may be opening the door, he pauses quickly, prays to the Lord. I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. It's an unbelievable ask. As it does not make light of this, as if this is some little favor he's asking for. Mind you, this king, this particular king, has already ordered Project Jerusalem to stop. Read about that account in Ezra chapter 4. Nehemiah is now risking his life He's asking the king to go back on his word. I mean, just sort of imagine Vladimir Putin suddenly having a change of heart and saying, you know what, I was, that whole Ukraine thing, I was wrong. Let's turn and go another way. Certainly in our day, that's worldwide proportions, televised all over the place. But this is recorded in the very word of God. It's asking king to go back on his word. No wonder he's afraid. Terrified. And yet confident in his God. So when the Spirit prompts him, he goes with courage and humility and God answers his prayer granting him favor in the presence of the king. Chapter 1, verse 11. As any good leader, he's been planning. He's been preparing. He's been taking notes on what he'll need for for the project. Safe passage. Sufficient supplies and an extended leave. And so when he's asked, Nehemiah has an answer to give. One prepared and direct consultation with his God. In church, when it comes to the abuse crisis, proper planning means we take concrete steps to protect the vulnerable and to deter the predator, even when it's inconvenient, even when it costs us, which is exactly why we as a church and many other churches have partnered with Ministry Safe to ensure every adult serving with kids is carefully screened and adequately trained to care well for the little ones that God has entrusted to us. And so church, thank you for supporting this initiative over the last number of months. In a marvelous way. To date, 77 adults, staff, and volunteers in our church have gone through this full screening process from application to interview. Praise God for that. Thank you, church, for supporting this initiative in response to the crisis of our day. How else might we plan to be used by God? Pursue relationships with those around you for the express 
purpose of sharing and showing Christ so those we encounter might be part of the great multitude. It means working hard in order to give generously to kingdom causes. It means offering your gifts for use in Christ's church. It means we begin with the end in mind, inviting God to use us however he wishes to accomplish his vision. So believer, ask and plan for God to use you. But take no credit when he does. Take no credit when God uses you. No credit to be taken. Right, here, here's a man with a plan. Nehemiah is a man with a plan, yet taking no credit for the completion of the plan. Nehemiah's not looking for human praise, but for God to be praised. Soli Deo Gloria. See, like Paul, he knows Jeremiah's warning to be rid of self-promotion and to only boast in the Lord. Take no credit when God uses you, but when he does, praise God for hearing our prayers and fulfilling his plans. Praise him for hearing and responding. Praise him for being faithful and accomplishing his His will, friends, we serve one with a track record of bringing good from harm, a history of bringing healing to the hurting, one committed to love his people, hear their prayers, and welcome them into his presence forevermore. This is God. And Nehemiah knows it's this God who grants him favor on that day in the presence of the king. He says so in chapter 2, verse 8, And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, for no other reason, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, he, the king, granted my request. Remember, God's, God's working. He was working then, he's working today, he's always at work, he's always working to fulfill his plans and to care for his people. Are you one of his people? Could you say, the gracious hand of my God is on me? You see, God's people get to join him in his work. And according to God's son, the one who is our savior, Jesus the Christ, according to God's son, God is working to build his church. And the gates of Hades cannot stop it. And so when the church suffers, When it appears as if the enemy is winning, when God's plans seem thwarted, when his name is misused and trampled through the muck and the mud, we know, we who know him cannot help but respond with grief and prayers and plans to correct it. See, here's the point. When the church suffers, God calls us to grieve, pray, and prepare to advance his gospel. When the church is suffering, we grieve and we pray and we prepare to advance his gospel because we know that is his will in accordance with his word. And we do so because we know our God. We know our God is greater than suffering. Indeed, he is one who entered our suffering in order to overcome it. You know this, believer. He's done it completely at Calvary and he'll do it visibly upon his return and we'll experience it permanently as part of the multitude in his presence. And so I must ask you this morning, will you will you be there? Are you part of his people? Will you be gathered 
among his own, in his very presence. We stand purchased by the blood of the Lamb before the King of glory. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we want to be there. We want to be where you are. For there is no greater place to be. Father, we want to be among your own. We want to be, we long to be in your presence. And when we don't, Lord, remind us. Remind us that your words are better than life. Remind us that your love is always and forever. Remind us that we were made to know and to enjoy you. Remind us that you have accomplished salvation for us, that you have sent your very Son to do for us what we could never do on our own, to live the life that we didn't, to die the death that we deserved, to be raised to life, that we might be forgiven by your grace. Oh, Father, help us to believe and to follow Christ, to trust you, to trust and follow Jesus in whose name that we pray. Amen.